Something that you might not know about me is that I'm a major animal lover. Anyone else out there like animal lovers? Yay! Uh, so I love pretty much any animal that has fur and is cute. So dogs, horses, cats, bunnies, cows. I really like cows. I don't know why. Um, but yeah. All right. Wow. You guys all really like animals. Let's just bring it back. Um, when I was a little kid, I was especially obsessed with animals. Um, I think it started when I was seven, and I got to take horseback riding lessons for the first time. So I have a really embarrassing picture to show you guys of me as a child. In my, in my brain, I don't know if you can really see it that well, but in my brain when I was thinking about this picture, I was like, oh, that was such a cute picture, I should show it. And then I actually like looked at it, and I was like, ooh, it's not a good stage for me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I got to ride horses, like, all growing up, and it was super fun, until about, like, the time I got in high school, and at that point, my parents, uh, kind of encouraged me that, like, this wasn't a super sustainable hobby long-term, you know, we, like, lived in the subdivision with a really small backyard, and you can't really fit a horse back there, so they're like, you know, this is great that you like doing this, but maybe we need to find something else, so me, still being an animal lover, decided that instead, I wanted to show dogs, I think I have another cute picture for you. This is my baby. This is Cassie. She's a Shetland sheepdog, and she's so cute. Um, I got her when I was 15, and I showed her all through high school. Um, by the time I got to my senior year in high school, we were doing pretty good. Like, we were a good team. Um, and my goal that year was that I wanted to win the combined grand championship at the fair. Now, I know a lot of you probably aren't super familiar with, like, dog showing, but just to kind of, like, give you a picture of what this was is, like, I don't know if you've ever walked through, like, the animal barns at, like, the county fair or the state fair and stuff. I was the kid in the dog barn, so I was pretty cool. <laughs> um, but I was, like, really determined to win this competition. And they score you on, like, a multitude of different things, but some of them are, like, how well you present the dog, how well the dog obeys, and how well um, she's groomed. And it might sound silly to, like, get scored on how well you groom your dog, but there's actually, like, a lot that goes into it. So, like, you have to, like, trim their feet just right, and you have to trim her ears, and, like, you can see she's got a lot of hair. So this was, like, not an easy task. And I was so determined to, like, do really well at this competition that a few days before, I took her to, like, a Sheltie club fair to learn how to groom her as best as I possibly could. So I show up, and I find this lady who's a professional groomer and breeder, and she sees Cassie and is like, oh, well, I'll just, like, do it for you for free. Like, you want your dog groomed? Like, I'll just do it. And I'm like, seriously? Like, you would just, like, groom her for free? Um, and that was, like, such a tempting offer to me, because for one, I knew that, like, if this lady did it, she would do it perfectly, and I would get full points in the grooming category. I was so tempted to do this, but... If I did, it would have been cheating. So I decided that I actually wasn't going to do it, and I stayed honest and followed the rules. Well, as it turns out, that was the best decision I possibly could have made because a few days later, when I actually showed up to the competition, I was getting ready to go in the ring, and I like, kind of looked in, and I recognized the lady who was the judge. I was like, I know her from somewhere. And then it dawned on me that the lady who was judging the competition was the lady who offered to groom my dog. And I was like, oh my gosh. So literally, like, 
if I had had her groom my dog, she didn't know like what I was, she was going to groom her for. If I had had her groom her, like she would have known that like I had completely cheated and cause she was judging, like she was the judge. So I probably would have been disqualified. So needless to say, I was like really relieved that I didn't give in to that temptation. So have you guys ever been in a situation where you've been very tempted to give in to something that you know is wrong? You know, in the story, it's like kind of a funny story. Um, and it would have been like a dishonest decision, but it's like not that serious. But there's a lot of other times in life when we're presented with much more serious temptations that have much more serious consequences. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph, and we'll see how he reacted when he was presented with temptation. But first, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Jesus, I just want to thank you uh, so much for bringing us all here tonight. God, um, yeah, just thanks that we can gather together and see our friends and um, worship you, Jesus. And Lord, I just want to pray that you would really speak through me tonight. God, I pray that my words um, would just come directly from you and uh, yeah, God, I just ask that all of us would, like, learn something, myself included. And so, yeah, Jesus, we just ask that you would be here tonight and that uh, you would speak to us. Amen. All right, so how many people have heard of Joseph before? Anyone? Sweet. So if you have, that's great. If not, that's great, too. It's a good chance to learn. Uh, if you remember last week, Haley taught us about Jacob and Esau, right? Um, well, Jacob grew up, and he had 12 kids. That's a lot of kids. Um, in my family, we, there's just four of us, so it's my mom, dad, and my sister and I, and I remember, like, when we were growing up, we used to, like, fight about crazy things all the time, like, who got the shower, or, like, the bathroom and stuff, and there's just two of us, so I can't imagine living in a family with 12 kids. It would have been crazy, and honestly, like, this is kind of what we see from scripture. Uh, we see that Jacob's family was kind of crazy. Part of that craziness is that Jacob played favorites. His clear favorite was his son, Joseph, and he, like, completely spoiled Joseph. He treated him totally different than all the other kids, and as you can imagine, like, that didn't go over great. Uh, and as Joseph grew older and the years went on, the brothers, the other brothers really started to resent him, and I'm not talking, like, a little bit of resentment, like, serious resentment, so much so that they wanted to kill him, like, they wanted to kill their own brother. Well... Through a whole series of events, the brothers decided not to kill him, yay, but they decided to sell him into slavery instead. So that's where our story is going to pick up tonight. Um, and I'm actually going to have Katie read for us. So if you guys want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39, she's going to read that for us. Great. Thanks, Katie. That was a long chapter. So this is a crazy story, isn't it? Uh, I told you I like Old Testament stories. They're really interesting. Sometimes I like read the Bible and I feel like it's reality TV or something. <laughs> so one thing that stands out to me right away from this story is the really unique situation that Joseph finds himself in while he's in Egypt. I want you to put yourself in his shoes for just a second and imagine you just got sold into slavery. Uh, probably like the kind of slavery where you would most likely be doing some kind of hard labor. What would you guys be thinking and feeling in that moment? You know, you'd imagine that you'd never see your family again. Uh, I bet he'd be, like, scared of, like, the kind of work he was going to do. Like, if it's really physically demanding, like, would he be strong enough? You know, who would buy him? Like, 
is it going to be someone who's a, a kind person or would they be dangerous? There were so many unknowns and probably a lot of fear for him in that moment. But in the very beginning of chapter 39, we see that he's actually purchased by this guy named Potiphar. And it tells us right away that he is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So just by hearing his title, we know that Potiphar is probably someone who's pretty uh, high up in the government. He's uh, pretty prestigious and important. And my guess is that like, because of his position, he's pretty well off. You know, he probably had a lot of people working for him. He probably had a lot of slaves. Um, my guess is he had a nice home and a lot of food and, like, other possessions. I really like pretty houses, and so I imagine Potiphar to live in a house that would look kind of like this if it was, like, modern times, you know? So, like, this is the kind, the kind of picture we're building of, like, this guy, Potiphar. And if you're Joseph, you know, obviously it's horrible to be a slave, but you've got to be thinking, like, Okay, this isn't, like, the worst person who could have bought me. Um, And then if we keep reading, in verse 4, it actually says, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's eyes and became his attendant. And he put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. So not only was Joseph sold to this man who's, like, pretty well off and had, like, a nice living situation, but he's literally put in charge of everything that Potiphar has. So he's not out working in the field. He's not doing like hard labor. He's basically like the, the manager of this guy's estate. This kind of makes me think of Brandon's message a couple weeks ago. If you guys remember, uh, he was talking about how when we're s- responsible in the small things and the little things in life, and we prove that we can be trusted with those, then we'll be entrusted with more. And I really think this is, like, what happened here. You know, Joseph shows up. He proves that, like, he is a trustworthy person. Um, It says in the beginning that, like, Potiphar even notices that he's, like, a godly man. And I think because of that, he's entrusted with a lot more responsibility. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you've earned trust and been given responsibility? For me, I've felt that way with, like, a lot of jobs that I've had over the years. So anytime I've been hired somewhere, it's like, To me, like, that's the employer saying, you know, Meredith, I trust you. I trust you to get this job done. And that makes me, like, not want to let them down. You know, it makes me, like, want to do a good job for them. And I would guess that's, like, kind of how Joseph is feeling. You know, some time has gone by. He's been working for Potiphar for a while now. And he's shown himself to be so trustworthy that he's, like, in charge of a lot. He's probably feeling pretty rewarded. Uh, He's maybe feeling content and thankful that he has this job. And I bet there is some pressure to, like, keep doing a good job, too. And that's why I think that what happens next must have been so jarring for him. I'm going to go ahead and read the end of verse 6 to 10 again. It says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than am I. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. Gosh, can you guys imagine 
like being in that situation, like how difficult and uncomfortable that would be. Joseph's like in this like pretty good position and all of a sudden he's presented with this incredibly forceful request from his master's wife of all people. What thoughts would go through your head? If it was me, I think I'd be like really terrified. Um, I would imagine like the wife probably had some power and you know, if Joseph was to say no to her, there could have been like major consequences. Um, like she could have gotten him killed or sold somewhere else. And like later in the story, we even see like he's like thrown in jail. And so like there's major consequences to saying no. But I also wonder if there's just a little bit of Joseph that was tempted to say yes to her. So during this time period, sexual promiscuity was extremely common in the slavery culture. Um, that means that like, most likely Joseph had friends who would have totally supported him if he decided to sleep with her. Um, he probably knew people who had even done similar things. And my guess is like that even could be one of the reasons the wife was so bold in approaching him. Because she was like, okay, this is part of his culture. Um, it seems logical that he would say yes, either out of desire for me or for f- out of fear. We see from this passage um, that not only was it common for Joseph, uh, for like the slave culture, um, to sin in this way, but the wife came to Joseph every single day with her request. Over and over and over and over again, she asked him to sleep with her, presenting him with a very easy opportunity to sin. Have you guys ever been presented with an opportunity to sin on a daily basis? You know, maybe for some of you, you found yourself in a similar situation to Joseph. Um, Maybe for some of you, like, you have been pressured sexually. However, even if you've never been in a situation even remotely similar to that, I think that all of us are presented with temptation to sin of some sort on a daily basis. Our world is incredibly full of temptations. You know, have you ever been part of a friend group that likes to gossip? I have, and it's really hard to not just join in. Have you ever wanted to be lazy and just kind of like not do your best on your homework or stay home, skip classes? You know, the Bible says laziness is sin. It's a scary one. How about when you're hanging out with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you want to go just a little bit further then you know you should. Or when you're on the internet and a sketchy website pops up, do you click the link? We're literally surrounded by temptation everywhere. So how do you react when you're tempted? We're going to look again at verses 10 to, tw- uh, yeah, 10 to 12 and see how Joseph reacted. It says... And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Okay, so how did he respond? First, he didn't just refuse to sleep with her. He literally refused to even be with her at all. He was like, nah, I'm not even going to like be with you. 
And second, when he like was stuck in the house with her, um, it seems like kind of by accident, uh, he literally runs out of the house. Joseph like runs. Like that had to look awkward, right? <laughs> like he got up and like booked it. Joseph put as many barriers and as much distance between himself and between temptation as is humanly possible. You guys, like, this is how we should react to temptation as well. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee evil desires. Literally run away and don't go toward them. But I gotta ask, how often do we actually do that? How often do we run away? I think that a lot of times our response to temptation is not to run, but to get as close as possible without actually sinning. It's like, I can't imagine it like there's a line right here, and on this side of the line, it's like very clearly sin, and on this like far side, it's like clearly not sin, but kind of like when you get a little bit closer, it gets like a little bit grayer. I think it's a big temptation to do everything right up until the line. You know, if we know we shouldn't have sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend, and we still hang out super late and make out, and then we can just justify it because we didn't have sex, so it's fine. Or if we know we shouldn't get drunk, you know, maybe we go to parties and just have a couple. But we didn't get drunk, so it's fine. Or maybe we know, like, we shouldn't waste an entire day watching Netflix by ourselves. So we invite a friend over, and we're hanging out with them. We're being intentional, even though we just laid on the bed and watched TV. You guys see the pattern here? This applies to so much more than just the examples that I gave. Um, I think a big one for me is gossip. You know, I'll justify talking about people uh, because I'm trying to help them. You know, I need to get advice on how to help them, so I have to, like, give all this information. Or, you know, I'm just really interested in them. Like, I want to get to know them. Why don't I just go ask them? So often we get as close to the line as possible instead of running in the opposite direction. So how in the world was Joseph actually able to do this? How did he have the strength to flee temptation? Because, you know, it's like one thing to talk about this here, you know, at Kyalpa, surrounded by Christians and other believers. But in the moment when temptation is, like, genuinely so strong, like, how in the world do we have the strength to stand up to that? I want us to look at a couple verses that I think shed some light on this. Okay, so first look at verse 9. It says, How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So this verse tells me that Joseph had an accurate view of sin. He had an accurate view of sin. What do I mean by that? Well, I think in our culture, we often try to minimize sin, right? We say things like, oh, well, like, everyone's doing it, so it's fine if I do it too. Or, you know, God's forgiving, so I'm just going to sin, like, really quick and then ask for forgiveness later. Or I'll just, I'll just make it up to them. Do sound familiar to you guys? We live in a culture that minimizes sin. But... We must understand that God does not minimize sin. 
He takes it incredibly seriously. God hates sin, you guys. He hates it. And yes, I know it's so uncomfortable to hear that. Like, it even makes me uncomfortable to, like, say that. But we must realize that sin is not funny, it's not cute, and it should not be ignored in our lives. James 1.15 says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin leads to death. In one of my intern classes uh, a couple years back, we learned that it's actually, like, good to meditate on your sin for a short time after you've sinned. And this, like, when I heard that, it was a totally new concept to me. Because growing up, you know, it's kind of like, okay, you sin, okay, ask for forgiveness, okay, think, like, stop thinking about it and just, like, move on. Like, get over it as fast as possible was just kind of, like, the attitude. But I think that when we take a few minutes to actually, like, mourn what we have done, it helps us, like, appreciate, like, the gravity of that. Um, and it helps us be even more thankful for the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. Okay, I want you to pay really close attention to what I'm going to say next, because I believe that it's really important for us to get. We know that God hates sin. We know that sin leads to death. But knowing these things doesn't actually help us that much if we don't know how to define what sin is. We live in a culture that says, do what feels right. Go with your gut. Listen to your heart. Follow your dreams. But these statements are not biblical. You know, this whole quarter we've been learning about how people have messed up and are inherently full of sin. So why in the world, if we are people who are naturally sinful, would it make any sense at all to follow our gut? Like, how does that make sense? We must let God define what is sin. And the way that he does that is through his word, the Bible. If your gut or your dreams or your heart or your feelings or whatever it is is telling you to do something that is opposite of what God says in the Bible, then you should not listen to those things. We must let the Bible be our final authority and we must let God define what is sin. How are you guys doing at letting God and the Bible define sin? Is the Bible your authority? Are you taking sin seriously? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to move on. Now I want you guys to turn back to Genesis 39 and take a look at verse 2 and 21. Okay, look at verse 2 and 21. They both say, the Lord was with Joseph. Hey, the Lord was with Joseph. What does that mean? Well, I think that this is one of the most exciting and encouraging verses in this entire story. It shows us that Joseph was not alone in overcoming temptation. You know, on our own, doesn't it seem like nearly impossible to stand up to sin and temptation sometimes? But our God, you guys, is not a God who says, you have to do this by yourself. No, he's like a God who says, like, let me come and help you. Let me have a relationship with you and know you and help you defeat this. We're going to do it together. 
First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful to help us. He is faithful to help us. He wants to be there for us. He wants us. He wants to help us run from sin. And the way that he does that is by having a relationship with us. You know, when it says that, uh, when it says that God was with Joseph, it shows us that Joseph had a very active relationship with the Lord, right? Like we've already seen that um, in this chapter that Potiphar even recognized that Joseph was a godly man. You know, Joseph was actively obeying God prior to the situation with Potiphar's wife. Um, And so that way, when this temptation came up, Joseph was able to recognize sin, and he had the strength to run from it because of his relationship with the Lord. It works the same for us today, which is really cool. You know, if we're actively studying God's word, if we're letting the Bible be an authority in our life, if we're spending time in prayer and learning from other believers— Um, And just doing, like, all these things that help our relationship with the Lord grow. Don't you think that when we're confronted with temptation, we'll be more likely to run to God instead of sin? Okay, so I'm actually going to invite the worship team up now. Um, And to close tonight, I want to ask you a few questions to reflect on. Okay, question one. How is your relationship with God doing right now? How's your relationship with God doing right now? Just think about that for a minute. You know, how have your God times been going? Have you been going to core consistently? Are you doing things that strengthen your relationship with the Lord? And question two, how do you respond to temptation in your life? Do you flee from it or get as close to the line as possible? During worship tonight, um, if there's something that you're struggling with, whether it's a sin or a temptation, I really want to encourage you guys to talk to someone about that. Um, There's so much power in confessing things. And so grab a core member, grab your facilitator, grab a staff member, grab someone and like talk to them about what's going on in your life. Chances are like they've been there at some point too. Okay, so the worship team is going to uh, go ahead and play a couple songs, and then they're going to give us an opportunity to like, get together and pray w- with each other. Um, and I really want you guys to like, take advantage of that. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and pray to close us. Jesus, um, God, I just thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you so much that like, you have given us the Bible um, to help us like, recognize what sin is so that we can run from it, God. Um, thank you for teaching us tonight, God, and I just especially thank you that, like, you are faithful, Lord. You are faithful and that you you don't make us do this alone, God. Um, Thank you that you are with us. Amen.